It's Something for Nothing, the Rush Fan Cast. Jerry and Steve with you. Jerry, today we are going to right a wrong. We are going to right a wrong. It's true. It is. One of the worst wrongs in human history. <laughs> well, I don't know if it's that <laughs> wrong. But we haven't talked about Getty Lee's vocal performances yet, right? That's true. We were so focused on Rush's musicianship mm-hmm. that we kind of forgot about Getty's vocals. What a great singer he is. It's an instrument unto itself. It is. And you know, before we really get into things, I was looking through my old emails and I came across an email from one of our listeners named Wayne, who last year suggested that we do an episode on Getty's vocals. Of course, I forgot that he (laughs) sent us that email and that's why it took us so long. But still, I thought I'd give him a little recognition because maybe he planted the seed in my head. He did. Thanks, Wayne. We really appreciate it. And we appreciate you listening. I hope you enjoy the episode. I hope you have an email, Jer, before we get started, before we get our guests here. I do. This is from Alex. What's up, Alex? He says, I discovered your podcast through the Envy of None promotion, and I'm really enjoying it. Oh, nice. I've been a Rush fan since I can remember, and that's a long time. I picked up the electric guitar around the time that Marty McFly first melted the faces of the class of 1955 on the big (laughs) screen. Once the calluses set in and I had some chops, the first song I figured out on my own was Limelight. Oh, wow. And ever since then, I've still been trying to figure it out. Even though I chose a career in film and TV instead of music, I still play every day all kinds of music. But with the Moving Pictures Anniversary Edition coming out, I've been inspired to once and for all get the song dialed in. To that end, I've decided that not only am I going to learn every nuance of Alex's playing and try to finally duplicate his guitar tone, but I'm going to take it several steps further. My goal is to answer this question. How close can I get to sonically reproducing the whole song as arranged and recorded on moving pictures using only my instruments, the virtual amps and studio tools in GarageBand on my Mac, and any freeware plugins that I can use to augment the app. I won't be adding vocals and the drums will be programmed since I lack both a drum kit and the skills to play. Me on a drum kit is like shoes in a dryer. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot that was in there. It made me laugh again. It's been quite a fascinating R&D project too, learning things I never knew about the gear they used, what was at La Studio, how they recorded, mixed, and mastered it, and then trying to duplicate that in the virtual. My only rule is that I'm not allowed to spend any extra money on gear or software, just what's available for free. So no, that's a hard pass on bidding for Alex's Henter Sportscaster Superstrap, <laughs> which he used in the solo in the upcoming Julian's auction. So this was a while ago. Um, here's a link to a roughly mixed proof of concept clip of what I've been able to recreate so far. So you want to play a little bit of that, Steve? Absolutely. good right sounds great how did he do that for free (laughs) i don't know in garage band wow that's awesome he says that's me on guitar bass and synth the drums are a plug-in and programmed by hand it's funny you think you know how to play a song but when you listen to it bit by bit over and over you hear things you never heard before 
And it's more than just playing the right notes at the right time. It's what's between the notes that really counts. Enjoy. That's Alex. And we did enjoy. Thanks, Alex. Appreciate you listening. Appreciate you sending us that. Very, very cool. I wish I had the time to practice my bass as much as Alex practices his guitar. Right. I wish I had the inclination to practice anything. (laughs) (laughs) Well, today on the Rush Fancast, Jer, we are counting down our top five Getty Lee vocal performances. To help us out, we're joined by a special guest we featured on one of our covers episodes, Jer. That's right. I know. Episode 104, native of Lafayette, Louisiana, singer, songwriter, multi-instrumentalist, and foremost, a player of the Irish bazooki. Best known to Rush fans for her amazing cover of Red Lenses, Beth Patterson, welcome to the Rush Fancast. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Jerry. Uh, actually, as soon as I saw you read your names, and of course, I've been tuning into the podcast intermittently, and it made me wonder, especially with, with you, Jerry, looking at your name spelled G-E-R-R-Y, I was like, how many people call you Jetty? <laughs> no one <laughs> has ever called me Jetty. Ever. I can't believe that it, it's right there, man. Right. It is oh, right there. Boy. I've never noticed it myself. Yeah. One more thing I have sort of in common with Getty, right? Yeah. Well, I could just, you know, trill your R's. You know, we can, we can, I can pretend that I have a thick accent. Jerry, Jerry, sure. I would get to Nana Sneaky or whatever. That's awesome. Beth, we like to start out by asking our guests their Rush origin story. When did you mm. first hear Rush and how did you become a fan? My brother, my older brother, was always talking about them, and it was around the time that I knew I wanted to play bass. I didn't know what I wanted to do. It was just the sort of thing that appealed to me out of various musical instruments I'd tried, but bass was where it really spoke to me, and it was the one thing that my parents fought me tooth and nail about. And uh, I think my gateway drug was Hemispheres. And it pretty much, I was in the eighth grade, heard La Via Strangiato. It gave me weird dreams for a week. And uh, I think I've pretty much been a Rush fan since uh, I was in the eighth grade. So tell us a little bit about your background, Beth. How did you get your start in music? Music was always in my family. It was just sort of these things that being being in a Welsh-descended family, and my mother is a soprano, I'm an alto, my dad's a tenor, my brother is a bass, so we jokingly called ourselves the Von Crap family singers. Um, <laughs> but, I, I always had access to a piano when I was a little kid. I got started on things like the oboe when I was in the fifth grade. I really sort of wanted to play the baritone. I was sort of drawn to the bigger instruments, but my parents, both being college professors, were thinking of my future and, and scholarships. I was 10. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so they had me on the oboe, and that's what I ended up getting a scholarship in. So I, I think that was probably my first taste of uh, musical prostitution. <laughs> oboe wasn't my thing, but uh, it was it was good for me to have something that I had to hyper-focus on, especially with my highly compromised attention span. But I, I got into the bass, had a bunch of little garage bands in my teens, and growing up in Lafayette, Louisiana, it's hard to find anybody your age to play music with if you want to play Prague. At least in the 80s, in the mid to late 80s, my options were pretty much heavy metal and Cajun. So for years, I was joking that my first band was called Iron Crawfish. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, uh, in high school, a friend of mine got me turned on to uh, the bazooki. This was before the Celtic Tiger economy or the River Dance Revival or whatever you want to call it, where Irish records had to be specially ordered. And 
I had been wanting to play the mandolin uh, just to kind of have something to help me think out of the box. And he was the one who first said, you know, you really ought to play the bouzouki. And he'd turn me on to groups like uh, Planksty and Down and the Buffy Band. And so that was also my gateway drug. And I've sort of been walking both worlds ever since. I recently got to play with one of my bouzouki heroes, probably my biggest bouzouki influence, who is uh, Donald Lunny, ended up at a session in, in Grand Turk. So that uh, was wonderfully validating blew my mind to get to play with your major influence on something. So, uh, Getty, if you're listening to this, you're next. <laughs> <laughs> now, didn't Alex also play the bouzouki on a song? He did uh, on, on several. I started noticing it from uh, Test for Echo on things like Mandola and bouzouki. And I actually got to speak with him about it for about 45 seconds. I had opened up for my friend Randy Jackson of Zebra, who did a lot of Rush covers and things. And Randy is just the nicest guy, just a wonderful human being. And uh, he actually played on uh, one of my original songs called Black Swan Rising. And he got me backstage passes, a meet and greet for the Snakes and Arrows tour. And I'm very proud of myself that I did not cry. I met Getty and Alex and with Getty, I just didn't know what to say. I was kind of like, me base, you base. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was... It was kind of like uh, visiting Santa in a department store, except that they didn't let me sit on his lap. Um, but, you know, just a few seconds, take the picture and get out. But I did talk to Alex, you know, about bazookies because I knew he had he had several and had been using them. And he said, oh, are you Greek? And I was like, no. And <laughs> I, I held it together as best I could. And then they shooed us out of the room. And after that, did I sink to my knees and ball like a baby. And then I called Randy and I said, thank you so much. <laughs> he was very kind. He was like, no problem. Steve, how many times do you think we saw Zebra back in the day? Oh, easily 20 or 30 times. They played yeah. the New Jersey area all the time, Beth, and we went to see Zebra. We're power trio fans, I guess. Yeah, I guess so. Well, they're, they're super nice guys. They're, they're from, from the New Orleans area. Yeah. And um, so I'd, I'd uh, run into them every now and again for a while. They're, they're late agent um I, I still feel like it's just wrong that he's gone a guy named big jim who had a he when he'd laugh he'd just go oh uh but uh he was the one who got me on some of these billings with randy i'd, I'd get to hang out with them and randy was always lovely you know guy was fun felix is hilarious <laughs> Felix, uh, just so yeah the power trio thing i still have my bass pedals somewhere <laughs> might use them again someday so, Beth, your album, Singles, has a Rush-inspired cover, does it not? Can you tell us a little bit about that? It does, and I owe a tremendous amount to three of my friends, all of who are diehard Rush fans. I'd had the idea just as a, as a light spoof. I had a slightly different concept, but uh, as a three-headed Dalmatian. But uh, with Singles, as opposed to all the other solo albums that I've done, I had just kind of hit a wall creatively. Certain situations in my life just had me just hanging on by a thread and I just had to keep moving. So I just eked out one song at a time until I had enough for almost a full length album. And my friend Randy Michaud with Stone Groove Records, and he's a, a brother from another mother, really urged me to do a Rush cover. And the prospect just terrified me because I thought, okay, you either have to do it completely true to the album or make it complete your own, or not at all. But he really just gently kept pushing me, and I realized that 
red lenses was something that kind of opened itself up for a, a new spin, especially being living in New Orleans and hanging around with Johnny Sketch and the Dirty Notes, which is a, a band that my husband is in. So I finally said, okay, I'm just going to do this. And the timing was both right and wrong. I'd been talking to them about it, and then we lost Neil. And I thought, okay, I've got to strike when the iron's hot. And it was it was too soon in some ways, and in another way, it just helped me process my sadness. And a lot of people did sort of raise hell about this because uh, when I talked to the guys in Johnny Sketch and the Dirty Notes, the drummer in particular, Andre Barron, who's the son of Spencer Barron, wonderful, late, wonderful songwriter, Andre said, do you want me to play it like Neil or do you want me to play it more like how I would work with this band? And I thought, you know, I really need the band to sound like themselves because uh, when you're dealing with a whole band, you want them as a working unit. And I thought, okay, this is going to ruffle some feathers, but this is what I'm going to do because I want people just to, to be themselves if I'm going to put my new spin on it. And so we did this and, and some people were like, that's not Neil. I'm like, yeah, I know. <laughs> And, and I, I, I fully expected that. I fully expected a lot of the, the negative feedback uh, that I heard. I was prepared for that. But overall, I got a lot of positive responses, such as yourselves. And my friend um, Peter Shirtliff, who's better known, his name is Peter. We call him Pytor. He was the one who did that incredible artwork. He knows signals like the back of his hand. And so there are tiny little references on the back cover that instead of being a map of of Toronto, it's um, of waterways in New Orleans, and all the little names have tiny references to my own private jokes and different bands that I've shared my journey with. And uh, my friend Louis Diabin, who's the third member of of my little rush trim for for that particular project, who's engineered a lot of my my smaller projects, uh, helped me kind of put the whole thing together, and was my 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 support group, my go to person, and uh, those guys really helped me make singles what it is. Did you ever consider other Rush songs or was Red Lenses like your go-to right away? Well, I always consider them because, <laughs> you know, it's uh, on gigs, especially like solo gigs, it's fun because nobody's expecting somebody who's in the corner and they think I'm going to play Danny Boy and then I end up playing The Spirit of Radio as best as one can on a solo instrument. There's only so much you can do as a solo instrument before well, for me in particular, almost feeling like that couple on Saturday Night Live, you know, the the uh, at the at the piano, it's Molly Shannon and Will Ferrell, I think. And Will Ferrell's got the thing that makes him look like a bald man. And right. at one point they're doing money. And uh, I think Molly Shannon is going, Zing, tika, tika, ting, <laughs> making the sounds. I'm like, OK, I'm going to draw the line before I start sounding like this. <laughs> So there's really only so much I can do on one instrument and one vocal mic before I start to feel stupid. <laughs> but I would always be up to the task of covering more and uh, think, you know, Magna Carta Records, you guys are always doing Turbid albums. Pick me, pick me, pick me. <laughs> well, Jerry and I thought you'd be the perfect person to help us pick our five favorite Getty Lee vocal performances. So we're going to do that today. And thank you for joining us to do that. And we'll start with you, Beth. What is your number five? Getty Lee vocal performance. Hmm. This was a tough choice, you guys, because um, I, I trying to narrow it down. Part of me thought, don't overthink this. Don't overthink this. So, of course, I overthought it. Oh, I overthought it, too. <laughs> yeah. And it's I don't really have them in any, any particular order. The first one that kind of jumped out at me is actually one that I've never heard live. 
Um, but I just love the range. My, my criteria for things were things like tone, delivery, um, passion and precision, expression, control, and you know things like range, because of course we're talking about somebody whose voice has evolved so drastically over, over 40 something years. But the first one that jumped out at me was um, Available Light. Restless wind, I've seen all things, every kind of light. Rising with the full moon, to go howling through the night. Sleepless wind, I've heard all things, between the sea and sky. In the canyons of the city, you can hear the buildings cry. It's got everything from his more dulcet tones in sort of the middle ages, I guess, uh, of Rush. And then hits that note right at the end of the chorus. And it's like, oh, oh, yes, please, more of that. <laughs> it, it's right. such perfection. Yeah, I don't want to give anything away, but Available Light's on my list as well. And I'm sure it's on yours too, right, Steve? It's on my list too. It's a great, oh. great choice. Oh. I mean, that that is universal. Available Light, right? Right. Such an unusual Rush song as well. I'm geeking out so hard right now. <laughs> <laughs> I just think that he it might be his best performance on record, I think. I mean, I hate to, you know, go out on a limb, but it's just, he has such control, right? You don't really think... I, so I had a hard time picking things because I was listening to a lot of Rush songs over the past week, and I was like, oh man, that's good too. My list is so long. Well, what's number five on your list, Jared? Let's hear it. Well, number five on my list is 2112. Oh, wow. Perfect. Because just the way that he hits all those high notes, which you want Getty to hit, but like parts of, of songs like Discovery, where he's saying notes that fall gently like rain. Mm -hmm. So beautiful. Just, uh, just very beautiful. And then during presentation, when he's switching between, you know, our hero and the, the priests of the temples, mm -hmm. it's, like, it's like two different people. Exactly. I mean, he has to really carry it almost like an actor. I mean, I, I heard an interview where he was talking about Neil's writing process and how Getty would shape those because he said that he has to believe what he sings. And so if there's something that doesn't gel with it, that Neil would go back and, and tweak it. And uh, it's so perfectly illustrated in 2112, because when you are a vocalist, you're an athlete. I mean, with any kind of musicianship, you're an athlete because you have to have the stamina, you have to have the control, you have to the precision, a lot of things that athletes do, but especially relying on your voice, it is absolute athleticism and a little bit of acrobatics. So, which is what makes it so rare and wonderful to see any performance live because you know that sometimes they're gonna be tired, sometimes they're gonna nail it, sometimes you might hear them struggle a little bit and it's all beautiful. Steve, what do you have as your number five? Well, Jared, this is gonna prove that we did not talk about our list before we started this podcast. And I thought I was going to blow you out of the water with number five, which is 2112. <laughs> I can't believe it. I know it's most unusual to come 
get the same list? I don't know. We might. For me, this shows the incredible range of Getty all in one 20-minute piece, right? He's at his 70s power peak on Temples. And then you've got Discovery, which is beautiful and emotional. And like you said, Joe, the storytelling back and forth he does on presentation and Oracle, it's just incredible. And then you get back to the emotional soliloquy, and it's just perfect. It's a tour de force for Getty. I think. Yeah, absolutely. And Beth, what else can we say, right? Yeah, you still get his incredible range too, right? He's up top and he's down low. It's, it's great. Yeah. I'm still freaking out that we all thought of uh, <laughs> 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 All right. Number four for you, Beth. What you got? You know, I didn't ask enough questions maybe because you said Getty vocal performances, but you didn't say specifically Rush songs. Okay. No, that's fine. You can choose a Getty Lee solo album song. That'd be great. Oh, I was looking at Getty Lee solo uh, album, but that's not actually what I chose for the next one. Oh, it's Take Off, isn't it? Nope. (laughs) (laughs) Take Off. You hoser. That's not what I was going to say. Uh, actually, it was um, Max Webster, Battle Scar. Oh, good one. Yeah, really. Try to understand the white man's fears. Make a bed. They won't yield. It's got a lot of the stuff that I love about the early grit. It's just all there. The kind of performance that you're just waiting for it and waiting for it. And then bam, it was like, that's where Getty is not just a proper noun. It is a gerund. (laughs) If that makes any sense whatsoever. Oh yeah. That's a great, (laughs) great pick, Beth. I didn't even think of that. No, neither did I. I can't believe the first thing you went to Steve was, was Bob and Doug McKenzie. Well, I couldn't think of anything else Getty sang on. I forgot about Battle Scar, but Take Off would have been funny. You know, it was it was tempting to at least mention this a little bit, but uh, it was nice to throw that little red herring in there. Because as much as I love my favorite headache, there's something about Battle Scar that just captures a certain zeitgeist. Really, really does. You know, I didn't even think of my favorite headache. Grace to Grace is another great one, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was I was thinking working perfect. Yeah, it doesn't have the same sort of range and everything like that, but it's it's very honest. But no, uh, Battle Scar from uh, Universal Juveniles, Max Webster, love it. That is terrific, Jerry. What do you got for number four? Well, my number four is Middletown Dreams. I love the way Getty started singing on Power Windows and Hold Your Fire. I think it's when he started, Beth, you can correct me, I'm sure, but it's when he started really delivering the emotion in a lot of the lyrics. Maybe it was because Neil was writing differently and he could explore that. But, you know, there's a lot more, I don't want to, if it's control, Mm -hmm. you definitely have the vocabulary to describe it. 
oh, I don't know about that, but because I think I have the vocabulary and then my ADHD brain goes, my inner Elvis leaves the building. Although you do hear some of that vulnerability in things like subdivisions, in things like um, distant early warning, red sector, you know, that, that predate those, you know, you can still hear some of that, that tenderness uh, that comes through. But yes, I absolutely agree with Middletown Dreams. I definitely wanted to stand up and cheer when you said that one. Steve, what do you have? Number four. My number four, and I agree with you, Jer, in the 80s, I think Getty started to shine much more vocally than he did in the 70s. Not that he didn't do great work in the 70s, but my number four is Red Sector A. Getty really captures the emotion of this song. And you could see why. I mean, it really hit home with him with what his parents went through. And I think Neil wrote a song here that Getty really connected with. And you can hear it in his voice in the song. What do you guys think? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. I was going to pick something off of Grace Under Pressure, but I didn't. I mean, there's so many albums. Mm-hmm. I really believe Getty's voice was the strongest in the 80s, for me, at least. I think so, too. Beth, what do you got for number three? For number three, well, it's funny because, you know, as you guys are talking about when his voice was the strongest, I really can't compare strength because it was just something different, just like we become different as people. We adapt different ideas, and there are things that we want to get back to that we can't recreate. And uh, there's some things that are just that stratospheric range that he does later, like like in 2112, he started sort of modifying the melody in the temples of Syrinx and then transposing it down. But going back to the some of the earliest days and just bam, a kind of range that I don't think I ever had, at least not with that strength. And that's Bastille Day. Oh, wow. Good one. Yeah. That was on my short list. That was, my short list was very long. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It's fun to um, check sound on the bazooki uh, just because I have to hop through a lot of chords very quickly, the way that the, the chords are voiced, that's very different from the guitar. And, um, and maybe somebody will recognize it, maybe somebody won't, but it's fun to keep myself amused. But I can't check the vocals to that one, not without hurting myself or just, I haven't even really tried because that would butcher it. And uh, me being female and just still not having that range, uh, I can just sit there and listen to it and admire it for what it is. You know, one thing we should probably talk about is the different eras of Rush and how Getty sang differently because in the early days, you know, he was up there mm-hmm. at the top of his range a lot. And like we said, in the eighties, he started going a little further down. I think he learned to sing by the time, you know, we got to like clockwork angels. What do you think, Beth? Do you think he became a better singer as the years went on? That's a good question, I think, and a, and a difficult question, because I don't know if better is the word, 
because uh, things things change. I mean, I'm I'm looking at at my own voice, not to compare myself to Getty in that respect, but there are certain things that uh, have changed about me. In some ways, I've learned more control, expanded my range. Then I lost a little bit of my range uh, one night on a gig in a kind of a dive bar in New Orleans where this drunk woman threw herself on me in a check in a choking tackle hold and hit me so hard in the larynx that I lost the edge. Uh, I lost both the uh, top and, and bottom edge of my vocal range. So things just change and you learn how to adjust with what you've got. So it's just just like certain uh, pictures shift in, in color a little bit as they get older. Woods in uh, acoustic instruments get darker. I can't say if it's better or worse, but I think he took what he had and made the most of what of his was on that vocal palette, so to speak. I like that. <laughs> Brilliant. Brilliant. Jerry, what do you got for number three? Well, number three, I went for another long song, The Fountain of Lumneth. Oh, wow. Two in a row of Caress of Steel. I love it. First of all, you know, he yells, listen, and I, was trying to write there, I just love, but then, you know, there's other parts of the song where he's just, you know, like Panacea, he's just singing almost ballady, right? He's just all over the place in that song. And it's just one of my favorite songs of theirs from the early days where you can really see him digging into the material, I think. Mm-hmm. Great choice, Jar. Love it. And yours, Steve, number three? I decided to go to Live Rush for my number three choice. So many choices here. I'm going to go with the different stages version of Resist. Ah, oh yeah. I can learn to resist anything but temptation. I can learn to coexist with anything. This song, Jerry and I have talked about this so much, Beth. This song was so much better live than it was in the studio. Oh, I agree. The live version of Resist on different stages. Getty is in such good voice. You can fight without ever winning, but never, ever win without a fight. When he says that, it brings tears to your eyes. It is so beautiful. And the live presentation, he and Alex just got out guitars Mm -hmm. and sat down And there's just something that set the tone. And even as live concerts got harder and harder for me to attend, as I started trying to see over a wall of cell phones and, and things like that, and you never knew what ticket monster was going to deal you at the time. So you, it, it, once you stop being able to camp out for tickets and uh, that sort of made it harder to, to enjoy myself, it's just luck of the draw, but everybody at that moment would just shut up and pay attention and Mm -hmm. lean in to something really intimate and special. Jerry, your thoughts? Yeah, it's a great, it was also on my, my shorter list. So <laughs> it, was, it was always great. 
when they, when they played. They played it on two different tours, right? Yeah. It's just one of the first things I thought of when I thought of Getty Lee's vocals. Totally agree. So we're to number two, Beth. We're getting close. What you got on I number know. two? Oh, man. And I'm, I'm looking at my, my long short list and uh, everything in my mind is going flubba, lubba, lubba, lubba. Um, so I'm going to say circumstances. Oh, wow. Oh, love it. It was also on my long short list. I have a special memory with that that's that's fairly recent. Um, I went up to St. Paul in March, which was a little terrifying because I never even saw snow until I was 11 and driving on ice was tricky. But I paid a visit to my friend Zenya, who is a wonderful bass player and a wonderful human being. And she and I almost went full on Wayne's World, made a little video in her basement <laughs> where she got out of her bass and I played the bazooki and we sang Circumstances together and just had fun with it as a couple of rush chicks. And they went from circumstances going out into the sphere, a mashup of two hemispheres songs right there. But circumstances was a good challenge for me. And um, I, I just got cut to unleash my inner Getty in that at that particular point. You didn't happen to have tape rolling at this time, did you? I would love to hear that. Yeah, we do. We've got it somewhere. <laughs> uh, and we started out just, we weren't trying to be Wayne's World, but it kind of ended up that way. She had a copy of Hemispheres on vinyl and doing, what was that skit with the, with the pancakes or we, you, <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, we were making jokes about prog rock albums, having, uh, naked man buns on them. <laughs> we just were playful with it and, uh, something really rare and special. It's, it's not, my, my playing isn't perfect, but it's honest. And it just tapped into the way that I felt when Hemispheres was my gateway drug in uh, probably the eighth grade. So Jerry, what do you have for number two? Uh, well, I had so many songs on my list, but I decided to go with some later rush and go with The Stars Look Down from The oh, Vapor Trails. Good one. I just love the way Getty sings, you know, what is the meaning of this? I won't even pretend that I can come close to it, so I won't even sing it. But it's just, it's kind of surprising, I think, for me to hear that with in the early 2000s from Getty. Because he was definitely, you know, dropping his voice lower and lower as the concerts went on. Right, Steve? Oh, yeah. So to hear him get back up there, I think, was... Uh, was just unexpected and i really love that song anyway it's probably my favorite song on vapor trails great choice your thoughts on that beth i agree it's another thing that vapor trails especially the remastered version that i i was able to fully hear it and it was like a brand new rush album had just come out even though i thought i knew it but then i really got to knew it with the remastered and uh, i agree with what is the meaning of this it, it's it's pensive it, it's one of those things that that forces me to uh turn down my mental chatter Steve, what do you got rolling into number one? Well, my number two 
we've been talking a lot about live Rush albums, Jer, and I've been listening to a lot of live Rush albums, and this one just stood out for me from Russian Rio. You remember we talked about this a couple of months ago, mm-hmm. and it's Bravado. <laughs> Interesting. Again, Getty captures the emotion of this song perfectly. And when you combine it with the solo that Alex brings on that song, I mean, it is incredible. And when Getty says the line, and if the music stops, there's only the sound of the rain. Yeah. He is so into it on this particular performance for whatever reason. I mean, it just blew me away. And it's my favorite Getty Lee live performance that I've heard so far. Really? I think so. And it taps into that lower range uh, as we're going from one era in, into the next. It, it taps into that more buttery range. I occasionally play it on gigs. There's only so much I can do. It's, it's very short without anybody to play it mm-hmm. with. But it, it sort of helps ground me, uh, even on those gigs where I end up being more musical wallpaper than anything else. That's one that I, I, I play for myself. And the thing, but we will pay the price, but we will not count the cost. Neil Peart even mentions it in one of his uh, one of his books. I think it was probably Far and Away, mm-hmm. uh, where he takes it and sort of breaks it down, and thinking to myself, "Yes, all kinds of this." I don't know if you've heard the Russian Rio version, Beth, but it is oh, yeah. spectacular, spectacular. I was actually watching it. The young at the time son of a friend of mine was watching it with me, and he hadn't really been exposed to much Rush, and he we watched the DVD together. And he said, this is the best music I've ever heard. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, come to the dork side. (laughs) So, Beth, it's time. We're down to your number one. What you got for us? Well, vocally, this is something that was really hard to pick. And uh, as much as I've been talking about vocal acrobatics and I've been talking about pushing the ranges and, and things like that, I went with something that just had such an emotional effect on me that just melts me every time. It doesn't push the ranges as much. It is just so... Can I swear on this podcast? Please. Okay. It is so fucking beautiful. And that is (laughs) Camera Eye. Getty delivers, it just brings my knees to jello every single time. The um, the melody itself is just perfection, and the way he delivers it, it's everything everything a gal could want, what can I say? You know, that's one thing we haven't talked about, is Getty's melody writing skills. Mm-hmm. He comes up with some amazing melodies, doesn't he? He does. I mean... There's a lot that I'm sure uh, Alex has a big play in. You know, it's it was interesting listening to My Favorite Headache versus Victor 
and kind of breaking it down and trying to say, okay, well, maybe this element comes from this and that element comes from that. I would imagine that Getty does have a lot to do with writing the melodies because he's the one who has to deliver them. But I was trying to think, okay, steer away from moving pictures. Everybody's going to think of moving pictures. And of course, I had to be honest with myself. I was trying to avoid the obvious and everybody got to deviate from the norm. <laughs> uh, but uh, as just as far as, as his vocal delivery and everything it evokes, the camera eye, what can I say? Great choice, Beth. Great choice. So, Jared, this is anticlimactic, isn't it? We're going to your number one. My number one is available light. Of course it is. I gonna say <laughs> well say something else about available light jerry i don't know it's a it's a weird rush song right it is it's a very weird rush song and i think you know getty really has great control on this song he really really brings the goods mm-hmm. you can really hear his his singing voice if that makes any sense yeah as opposed oh, yeah. to maybe his screaming voice his yelling voice maybe his outside voice <laughs> this is his inside voice i like all of his voices yeah so do i some people are picky about that sort of thing, and that's personal choice, but I'll take it all. But there's something that I like about the, the pensive nature of it. It's all really rare and special because sometimes I need the scream and sometimes right. I need uh, something that's a little more velvety. That's one that I used to listen to just on repeat, which was really inconvenient when I had only cassettes. <laughs> <laughs> Did you have the cassette player that would automatically go back to the last song, like find the space? I did not. I had to just guess. And uh, I got really good at just sort of guessing by the amount of time it took, which is funny because then when I got into recording and became a partner at a recording studio, we started with one inch analog tape. So I'm an analog kid at heart, but I think it it prepared me. Okay. I think I should rewind and stop about here. Ooh. Oh, me. (laughs) (laughs) And Steve? Was there ever a question what I was going to pick for number one, Jared? There was no question. To me, this is Getty's finest vocal performance ever. We've talked about this over and over. When you first hear his voice on the first verse, it's just stunning. And the emotion builds as the song goes along. Run with wind and weather to the music of the sea. I mean, it's so powerful. And at the end, that last in the available light, I mean, brings tears to your eyes, like I keep saying. Right? Yeah, definitely. And I guess the best question is, why did they never play this song live? Why, why, why? I have a guess. Because that note, and the, uh, that's, that's not the right, uh, sorry, I'm not even going to try it because <laughs> that, wasn't the right, uh, that wasn't the right key. But when he sings, in the available light, that is a really hard note to hit. And if you're going to be playing night after night, do as many gigs with that punishing uh, tour schedule that they have, that's a really hard note to hit. That would be my guess. It's like, okay, we're going to do this. How much are we going to push it? Not having talked to the guys, I at this point don't know, but uh, that would be a hard one to pull off on that kind of schedule. So any honorable mentions, any song that you wanted to put on your list, but you couldn't 
Maybe we could each name one. What do you think, Beth? Well, I had so many mentions. One that I love, and not attributed to any specific recording, but just consistently, uh, so many times he just knocks it out of the ballpark. You've got to use a baseball reference when you're talking to Getty. <laughs> but uh, is free will. gets into that soaring part. Even as he's transposed things like the Temples of Syrinx, he's transposed it down, going from uh, sort of paraphrasing it to transposing it down to that. But he knocks free will out of the park every single time. Each of us, a cell of awareness, bam. Right. And heard them on, on R40 in New Orleans, and it was close to the end of the tour, and he still just nailed it. Yeah, killed it all the time. Jar, one more from you. Give us one more. Only one? Yeah, just one. Ah, uh, let's see. Eeny, meeny, miny, mo. Let's go with uh, Cygnus X1. Oh, that's what I was going to say. No, you're, you're kidding. Oh, my God. Invisible to telescopic eye, infinity, the star that would not. I mean, come on. <laughs> Just the last one. <laughs> Every nerve is <laughs> I'm guessing, is that, do you think that's the highest note in the entire repertoire? That that's probably the, the highest note that he's. I think so. I think so. Invisible to telescopic eye, infinity, the star that would not die. That was on my list too. I mean, everything about it is just frighteningly, it's, it's intimidating and it's mesmerizing, but the end especially, it's like, wow. I think feel like uh, in South Park, dude, what the hell just happened? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and you can really feel, you know, like he's falling into a black Ooh. hole. <laughs> well, he has to believe what he, what he sings. Uh, right. And what I said about, about being a little bit of an actor because you are a performer. But yes, uh, and all of it. Of course, we don't re really know what uh, who's doing the, the speaking and the, the little preamble. Uh, right. Great choice, Joe. That was my pick, too. That was my pick, uh, was too. It? That was it. I'll throw out the garden. How about that? I was just going to say, you're not deviating from your list at all. I'm not you? deviating at all, but I will say the garden is another great one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Great one to end Rush's career, and Getty brought it at the end, too. Mm-hmm. And Beth, you brought it today, too. Thank you so much for joining <laughs> us today to discuss Getty's vocal performances. Why don't you tell us what's up with you? This episode is going to be airing on July 4th. What do you have in July? Where can we see you live? Let's see. I'm, I'm trying to think right now because uh, I am on my seventh week uh, of a little mini tour. A week from today, I'm going to be, well, at the time of recording, I have one more week to go. So I'm into week seven which is not long for some tours. Uh, there have been, I've lived for probably four or five months at a time out of a suitcase and would probably do even more if I'd ever gotten on with a bigger band. 
so I, I'm a little dinged at the process. I've gone as far north as Maine and as far south as Grand Turk. And uh, so basically, by the time the show airs, I will have gone home, played a couple of gigs in Lake Charles, unpacked my stuff, repacked my my things, and uh, I'll probably be on a uh, on a little fun trip with my husband. Awesome. And where can Rush fans find your music if they'd like to purchase your music? My website is uh, bethpattersonmusic.com. Bandcamp. Ooh, I have to think about this for a second. I know it's on Bandcamp. I think it's just bethpatterson.bandcamp.com. Uh, Facebook, the handle is Bethodist. Um, <laughs> just ignore all the all the suggestions because it will try to take you through all of these closely associated things. But uh, so you might have to do Bethodist Bazooki or Bethodist Beth Patterson. But um, I've been joking for, for years that I want to start my own religion. Um, I don't really want to be worshipped. I'm just in it for the tax exemption. <laughs> and, uh, and, and my my only rule is don't be douchebags to each other. So that's on Facebook. I think Instagram, which is new to me, it's uh, Bethodist underscore manifesto. I only visit that on occasion. But uh, my Facebook music page, I do a little a little bit of blogging about some of my travels as well. Um, just trying to keep people a little more engaged. But hey, there's this funny thing that I learned on on this tour, or this interesting fact uh, that I learned when I was scrambling up some mountainside somewhere just to keep people a little more engaged than just buy my music, come to my show, read this thing that I wrote, stuff like that. Well, our listeners know that we're not religious, but now Jerry, we have a religion. We are Bethodists. At least I That's am. That's right. We can, yeah, we can be Bethodists. Awesome. Yeah. I can become a Bethodist minister. <laughs> can you marry someone if you're a Bethodist minister, Beth? I don't see why not. I guess I have to get this up and running and, right. um, I'm not going to have a, a mega church. I'm just probably going to, well, I, I can't have a studio in my basement because we can't have basements in New Orleans or we could be rushed to There you go. <laughs> I think you need a Bible. Can you get a Bible together? Cobble something together for us? Well, it has one sentence in it. Don't be douchebags <laughs> to each other. Right. It's that, what more do you need? It's more, more of a pamphlet. Yeah, exactly. It, I mean, keep it simple. Um, I, I do my, one of my side hustles is, uh, writing fiction. So I do have a couple of things, including a novel that I wrote before I knew how not to write a novel. And so some very good friends of mine, uh, Bill Fawcett and Jody Lynn Nye sort of helped me along with that. And they basically saved it from being a self-indulgent sack of spider puke. Um, I didn't <laughs> make that up. That was an Anne Lamott, but I'll quote the truth wherever I find it. And of course it's blending the esoteric with the ridiculous with the mundane there is a character in there who is a wonderful bass player but most people just don't understand him because he's got this high falsetto voice and has an abnormally large chin and his name is teddy lee and uh sort of more making fun of people who just don't get it the people who don't see the, the things that we're obviously digging and uh aren't willing to just kind of sit with the discomfort and i mean you know if if uh, Rush isn't their thing, it's not their thing. People used to try to wind me up, you know, trying to rag on my favorite band. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, out of all the things that should offend me, people having a different musical taste is just not even on my, on my register. Uh, if people want to listen to different stuff, that does not bother me. But uh, I, had, I had fun with that little side hustle with uh, sneaking in a little Rush references everywhere because I could. Beth, this was such a pleasure today. Thank you again so much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank you, Steve. And thank you, Jetty. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Thank you for making me a minister.
Absolutely. So, Jer, how great was that? That was a great time. She is so much fun, such a bundle of energy, so funny, and so yeah. talented. I mean, amazing. I know. I'm so glad that we were able to get her to come on the show. What a great idea. This was your idea, Jer. Was it? It was. You said, how about Beth Patterson? She would be good. And she was great. I'm just so glad that she was enthusiastically said yes. Oh, yeah. Very enthusiastically said yes. And yeah. thank God. I mean, we have to have her back. She was so good. Yeah, I know. And, of course, we all picked Available Light. I knew, I knew <laughs> you and I were both going to pick Available Light. I knew it. How could you not pick Available Light? It's so incredible. I actually tried not to. I said, you know what? Jerry's going to pick Available Light. He knows I'm going to pick Available Light. Maybe I'll pick five other songs. And I just could not not pick it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I knew you were going to pick Available Light, too, but I picked it anyway. And we both picked it number one. Right. At least Beth made it number five, make it a little interesting. <laughs> but she did say it was the first one she thought of. So really, her number five was her number one. So we all picked Available Light number one. It was the first one I thought of, too. It's the first one anyone thinks of. Yeah, absolutely. You can find us on Twitter. We are at RushFanCast. Instagram, find us at TheRushCast. Email us at TheRushCast at gmail.com. Let us know what you thought of our conversation about Getty's top five vocal performances. Send us your top five. Please put available light number one and then give us four others. Again, therushcast at gmail.com. The bass intro and outro, that is Lex. And Jer, hope you have a great quote to wrap this up for us. I do. You want to guess what song it's from, Steve? Available Light. <laughs> All four winds together can't bring the world to me. Shadows hide the play of light. So much I want to see. Chase the light around the world. I want to look at life in the available light. Fantastic. Thanks, Jer. See you later. Thank you.